What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 181, unless I am really terrible. I'm pretty sure it is 181. This is Armchair Producers, and we are the premium people to go to for armchair background noise. That's right. We do it better than anyone else. We are joined, as always. By the Whaling Utani Corporation inspired, protected, and endorsed, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am well. You know, we're, we're building better worlds, is really what we're doing at the Whaling Utani. That is the important thing to do. And it's somewhat, somewhat fitting that you're doing that, considering the first teaser for the Alien TV show that's coming. I have not seen it. Uh, the, it it's literally just a. Face hugger holding a clapperboard. That that that's it. Uh, in in on like a like a set that looks straight out of LV four two or LV four twenty one. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> uh, well, look. I mean, Alien as series is dead. So um... it is, but, but you know, <laughs> that won't keep a good. Good every town, unfortunately. No, I guess not. But uh, I remember after you and I, what was the last one? Was it Requiem? Yeah, yeah, Alien Requiem, and they, and they had. Uh... Oh no, no, it wasn't that. That, that was uh, there was Alien Requiem, but there were the Predator. no, that was Alien versus Predator. What was the, whatever the last Alien thing was alien on its own was Alien Requiem, I think. Co- Covenant. Was... Covenant. Covenant, that's right, because there were the um, Ridley Scott prequel ones, Prometheus and Covenant, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but they said about them, the better. Um, oh, goodness me, you can, you can, you just, I noticed the other day, they've done a reboot of Doogie Hauser on the Disney Plus channel. Yeah, I saw like, that. Uh, we really are short of ideas these days, aren't we, you know? Yeah, like they really are. Uh, and like, I don't know how much brand recognition and love there is in the Doogie Howser brand. You know what I mean? Like, okay, look, Terminator, Alien, you know, a lot of people love those series. Yeah. Doogie Howser? Well, yeah. look, frankly, if it missed its first opportunity, why not wait a few years and just try again? Because <laughs> you know what? The definition of insanity is not doing the same thing again and try and expecting different results it's yeah whatever i mean i always say we missed the mark how many how many seasons do you reckon there were of the original just have me just have a guess of doogie hauser mm-hmm. i have no idea because i don't think i've ever actually watched a single episode well there were four four wow four okay because so, that was yeah. um, that was what's his face, um, Neil Patrick Harris. That's the one, yeah. yeah. So not only are we your premium source of armchair um, background noise, we are your premium source of Doogie Howser chat in twenty twenty three, a lazy twenty four years after it first aired, thirty four, sorry. Um, but I think we have more interesting things to talk about this week, right? Yeah. Um... We've got a few. We've got our chain movie of the week, which was um, following on from last week's Monkey Bone, um, which was my pick. The Henry Selleck mishmash combination with um, Brendan Fraser in the lead um, to the respected Do the Right Thing, directed by Spike Lee, with a couple of connections 
to uh, Monkey Bone. Which one was it in particular that you were using? I went with John Turturro. So John that, Turturro, that, that's right. That leaves Giancarlo Esposito, who was also in Monkey yeah. Bone. Uh, free and clear for anyone to pick if that's the way you've chosen to go to whatever's next. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the Netflix film The Swimmers. Yes. Um, apparently had a four-minute standing ovation at Cannes or wherever the fuck it was at premiere. Um and uh, the the third film, what was the third film again this week? It, it was, was Ghosted, the new Ghosted. TV, Chris Evans, Anna de Aramis. Spy um, rom-com? Spy rom-com, yes. And, of course, we will have the, um, the usual binge, browse, and burn. Do you want to start at the beginning? In the beginning, start at the beginning, the beginning began when yes, we talked about let, doing the right thing. Let's do the right thing. So I um, couldn't remember if I'd seen this before, but I remember while I was watching it that I had. But that was a lazy 27 years ago, believe it or not. Oh, uh, you slacker. My, one of my, my, when I studied cinema studies um, back in the mid-90s uh, at uni, we watched this. And so I'm suddenly remembering at the end, does someone throw a rubbish bin through a window? They do for a rubbish bin through the window. They I... do indeed. So for those who aren't uninitiated, this is one of Spike Jones' earlier films. It's not his first feature. I think it might be his third. Yes, on the I hottest guess. day of the year on a street in the Bedford-Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn, everybody's hating bigotry smolders and builds until it explodes into violence. Written and directed by the great Spike Lee. And uh, Star. Star starring as well uh danny aiello as our headline star ozzie davis uh, ruby d gene carlos visito to mention earlier uh john Turturro, frankie Faison, uh samuel L. jackson's in here rosie perez who went on to uh, bigger and better things this was her breakout role yeah it was wasn't it um what a film i mean i am i am i'm am blowing my own trumpet because i picked it but in fairness, it's been 27 years since I'd seen it. So I'd forgotten a lot of what happens in this film. And this is breathtaking filmmaking for me, even 30 over 30 years after, 34 years after it came out, this is still, I think, Spike's best joy to date. But I think you went in completely uninitiated, right? Yeah, no, I did see it. Um, it was part of uh, theatre studies and... The, the film subsection that I did. Um, I've got to say, I I remember watching it vaguely and thinking, okay, this, this is a film. And I still think those sentiments. So I'm, I'm going to take that as uh, you didn't really dig it then. Not really. I mean, it doesn't... I don't entirely understand what it's trying to do, especially at the end when you've got the two quotes from Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and they're kind of walking along similar lines, but from different points of view, and it doesn't, they don't quite, uh, they're, they're, they're confrontational, I suppose would be a, a way of describing those two kind of philosophies of those two, two great men. Um, and I kind of don't really know what the point is of the movie. Um, that's interesting. I, I guess maybe some context here. I'm, I'm being generous because 
I, well, needless to say, I gave I, I tip my hand. I loved this. Mm. I think this is amazing. I think this is breathtaking, as I said, simply breathtaking filmmaking from someone on their third feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's his point or what or, or his commentary about race relations in the United States in 1989 is so on point that this still film this film to me still feels largely fresh and important and vital you know three decades later like um do we need to save a spoiler warning for a 34 year old film i am am not putting spoiler warning up for this movie because it has been inducted into so much education that if you are interested in movies you will probably have had some connection to this, and it's well past it. It's well past. I was. I think you're right. So to give a little context, mm. uh, the film looks at a li- day in the life in the Bedford Stuyvesant district of Brooklyn on a hot summer Sunday, as he does every day. Sal Fragioni, played by Danny Aiello, opens a pizza parlor he's owned for 25 years. The neighborhood has changed considerably in the time he's been there. He's now prim- composed primarily of African Americans and Hispanics. His son, Pino, played by John Turturro, hates it and would like nothing better than to relocate the eatery to their own neighbourhood. For Sal, however, a restaurant represents something that is part of his life and he sees it as part of the community. Uh. What begins is a simple complaint by one of his customers, Buggin' Out, played by Giancarlo Esposito. Unrecognisable! I had to point that out to Michelle going, do you know who that is? Yeah. Uh, um, who wonders why he has only got pictures of famous Italian-Americans on the wall where most of his customers are black, eventually disintegrates into violence as frustration seemingly brings out the worst in everyone. Um, that's a nice little synopsis. There's obviously other stuff going on around that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the parts of a film I think is, is just most incredible is, is the riot scene. So uh, all this anger and hatred just blows up into a full-blown riot towards the end of a film uh, when uh, Radio Rahim's... Uh, Spoonbox is destroyed mm. uh, in the uh, in the pizzeria by uh, by Sal mm. um, Radio Rahim, played by uh, very recognizable, but probably not the name you recognize, Bill Nunn. Yeah, but you'll go. I've seen that guy in stuff. Yeah, he's he um, kind of everything. He was he was um, in the Spider Man films. Yeah, he was he was one of the first people to understand. Yeah, Peter Parker, Spider Man. Come on, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> So he's radio, he's uh, his old radio ring walks around this giant boombox, and you can sort of the film really nicely displays how this thing is his pride and joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of us who are old enough to remember when carrying, like, I never did carry boombox because, <laughs> yeah, you know, it just I don't think I could have pulled that off. Um, but you know, the D sized batteries at one point, he's buying 12 D sized batteries. Yeah. Uh, how expensive that was and how little time actually lasted. But yeah. So his radio is destroyed in the process of this argument yep. in the uh, in the pizza shop, which blows up into this huge riot where the pizza shop is trashed, destroyed, and burnt down. When the police turn up a, in restraining Radio Rahim, they strangle him to death. Yeah. And the echoes of that 30 years later and what happened in the George Floyd incident it's mind-boggling. This is 1989. Spike Lee's making his film, and in 2020, the, the American police are still killing people, you know, whilst restraining them. 
Um, and the, I thought that was insanely prescient of, of a filmmaker who was only, uh, who was very young at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it so sort of echoes and those sort of comments that you see, you still see relevant today. You could make this film today. You could release it at the cinema now. And I, other than the, maybe the fashion choices and some of the dancing, I think, in the opening sequence, mm. um, it would still be every bit as relevant mm. uh, as it was in 1989. Um, how old was Spike when this came out? I'm just checking now. 1957. So he was, he was, he was 30. Yeah. Um, still a young man. Um, and I think it's those sort of things that for me really stand out. Uh, the, uh, the other part where we, we have the other element of the of a neighborhood is a grocery store run by a Korean couple. Uh. Um, and uh, the resentment felt by the African-Americans in the neighborhood towards the newcomers. So the new newcomers are these Korean-Americans who are now resented by the established people in the neighborhood being the African-Americans. Uh, and during the riot, they attempt... There's a, a point where some of the African American locals are actually going to trash mm-hmm. the, the Korean run grocery store, um, only to be defended and sort of convinced to do otherwise by the owner of a store by telling him, I'm like you, I'm like you. Um, the other thing is, what this got me thinking is, is this is three years or so, I think two or three years before the, uh, the famous, infamous LA riots um, set up by the, um, the, the trial of. Um, Rodney, Rodney King trust. Yeah. Um, and those who don't know, if you're not old enough to remember, that one of the one of the things that happened during those riots is a lot of Korean American businesses were attacked by rioters because they saw those Korean immigrants running those doors and being as profiteering off the African American community as taking advantage of or taking opportunities away. And there's famous famous footage you can find online of uh, Korean American business owners uh, staking out their businesses with shotguns uh. and on the roof of their shops with guns and stuff, defending their businesses because the police wouldn't do it. Um, again, if you, I mean, I guess it's maybe standard to expect a, an African American director to tell a story about race relations to talk about, you know, white black race relations, uh. but the skill involved to invent or and the, the intelligence to then go, this is a, uh, um, this continues on. This is not just between these two groups. There's also he also shows the um, the, the the tensions between the Latino and the African American community, and then between those communities and the Korean community. Um, I, I think it, it's a really intelligently done part of the film for me. The writing in that section was incredible. That he saw this coming. It's years ahead of when you know. If you made this after the LA riots, you can say, well, okay, well, you know, you're just reflecting reality. But in this case, he was years uh, ahead of, I think, maybe what everybody else was in terms of seeing where this was going in terms of race relations. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, I'm talking way too much. No, uh, that's <laughs> all right. You're, you're fine. Um, I think my my problem with it is that aside from um, uh, Demare, I think pretty much everyone in this movie is trash. They're just shit people. Every single bloody one of them. There, no one is. It, it it takes a little while before you go. Oh, it's a weekend for one thing. You know, it 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 doesn't kind of set this. It, it for a while. I was thinking, what, does no one go to work? What what 
what what's going on here? Um, and then like the character of Mookie is like, okay, you're the you're the the vehicle that's getting us from A to B to C through this narrative, but you're not really helping yourself. You 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 are purposefully not doing your job and you're going home and having showers and you're you're taking fucking forever i can understand as someone who's worked in retail i understand what it's like to have a worker who doesn't fucking work <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it doesn't present him as someone sort of like oh no he's he's trying hard he's doing don't don't destroy the studio please george keep your keep your temper under control <sighs> and um so like none apart from Demare, who's the only one trying to so like keep level heads and he's the one who says the title of the movie of do the right thing and it's so lazily thrown away by mookie is so like do the right thing yep that's it that's it got it bye and how that kind of culminates and the looseness of whether or not Mookie is doing the right thing or he's not doing the right thing or however you interpret that it's like okay and every single person that Demare has engagement with throughout the movie chides him for being a drunkard but he's actually the only one who's trying to do something for the community in a good way he saves a kid's life he tries to help out mother sister and things like that he's he's trying to be the voice of reason amidst a cloud of oppressive heat and hate and alcoholism and no one is out there actively trying to seemingly better themselves or even just do anything for fun like um radio rahim yeah he's it's his pride and joy that he's going around but he is purposefully obnoxious about his music purposefully obnoxious and it's like okay you know what i appreciate someone who wants to respect that um you know express their passion and their love but at the same time you don't have to be a dick about it and especially with the the fact that the, the first culprit of the riots is the boombox is like i would probably do that as well if i was in sal's shoes because i've told you i've asked you nicely repeatedly as it it's suggested in it like you know what come on it it doesn't take any it, it doesn't take anything to turn it down or, or stop your tape it's a dick move i, I think you're right these are in the sense that none of these people are perfect uh, yeah. And that's what I like about them. These feel real. Like um, most people, you know, are a mix of dick and, you know, good people at better in different times. Um, and I think probably these people lean harder away from being good people, or it seems that yeah. way, because they're in difficult circumstances. This is a, a, a neighborhood that is, you know, I guess down on its luck. Not anymore. Fucking hell, you probably couldn't have. I don't think I could afford to walk down the streets of Brooklyn. I know. I've watched the new Candyman. <laughs> um, I have not, but I know enough to know that Brooklyn's super trendy now um, yeah. and super hip, and you couldn't afford. Yeah. And so this neighborhood's probably been gentrified to hell and back since then. Um, oh, and that that um, uh, sequence in it about so like, hey, you doing buying a brownstone in my neighborhood? 
yeah, that, that was an interesting seat. And that's, again, just showing he was, his, Spike's vision was decades ahead of, of, of everybody else. Oh. Um, uh, Mookie in particular, I think, is a, is a really fascinating character. And, of course, um, in a classic sort of Tarantino-esque move, he uh, the director gave it to himself. <laughs> I think he wanted to have Wesley Snipes, but I don't, um, Wesley wouldn't do it or couldn't do it. Uh, ended up doing his next film, Jungle Fever. Mm. Um, but I think Mookie's in a unique and very awkward position in many ways. Yeah, he's a bit of a shitty worker, I guess, in a lot of ways. But I, I think he's dad. Sorry, he's a shitty dad. Um, again, a lot of people are shitty parents, but he's in a uniquely awkward position in the sense that he's kind of got a foot in both camps. He's spread across two worlds. He's, his financial well-being, to a large degree, uh, relies on Sal and the pizzeria and keeping them on side. But uh-huh. his standing within the community, it means that he, you know, he can't be too seen to be too sympathetic towards them, lest he put the whole our neighborhood upside. And to a degree, he probably sympathizes with the, the feelings of the people in the neighborhood that Sal doesn't really cater to them and that he's, you know, from a bygone era and the racism that he portrayed, um, less than Sal, but more John Turturro's character, is uh-huh. probably uh, doesn't help the cause and puts the rest of the neighborhood off, offside. And you can sort of see that sequence towards the end during the right where he sort of has that, you know, now, I think that's the, the scene to do the right thing. Is he do the right thing or not? And what is the right thing for Mookie? What is the right thing for him? The right thing to you and me might be defend property, tell these people, you know, try and disperse the crowd and calm it down and pour some water on the situation um, and, you know, try and direct people away from destroying the pizzeria because that would be the right thing, I guess, you know, morally speaking, potentially. It would be the right thing for his financial situation, potentially. But is that the right thing for him in terms of a neighborhood? And he's standing in the community. See, so, I think where my where my challenge for it comes in, yes, he he does have the like the minimal kind of element of being in both worlds to a certain degree. But where where that kind of falls down a little bit for me is he's not a good worker, and yet Sal is lenient with him. And then he does also kind of try to to like navigate the people that are coming in. Like he does try to talk talk to Buggin' Out and um, the the other guys about just sort of being a bit more respectful. But he doesn't really try hard in either respect. If if there was development of one side or another throughout the movie, and then his decision kind of embraced where he was going, you know what, this is the right thing, this is better for for my neighborhood or for my for the person who is paying to give me money. Um but I don't feel like it it doesn't give me enough of Mookie's decision there. And it's like you'll you'll obviously looking at Wikipedia and going online and seeing all the Reddits and AMAs and all sorts of things like that. There'll be people who very staunchly fall on multitude of possibilities. Some saying that he smashes the window because that diverts anger from Sal itself to property damage, which murder or property damage, which one's better? Probably property damage is the better one to go for because you're not literally killing someone. 
versus should he have spoken up more to protect the person who was protecting his business in some regard or should he have been more of a more of a fighter against Sal throughout the movie there's kind of too many options for me to be able to go yeah they he was Spike Lee was making a good message and Mookie's journey was valid there's too much open for expression in my opinion that's the good thing though right you get to make up your own mind you don't get handed it on a plate going this is how you should feel about this right now because you know sal's been an asshole all the way through the movie like lucky son john Turturro's character if it had been him you'd feel good about well that guy's a fucking asshole he's a racist and a piece of shit uh and it was a piece of shit to the the disabled guy fucking bernie's business down you feel good about that sal isn't like that sal actually is a reasonably nice guy but a little bit problematic at the same time. Um, so you feel, as you say, you get to that point in time at the end. And what I think is genius about this is you feel a little bit of what that character must feel, tiny little bit. You know what I mean? Like you're feeling like Sal's not the worst guy in the world. He's pretty nice to some of the people in the neighborhood. It's stupid to burn the business down, but at the same time, there's some real righteous anger amongst the people in the in the uh, neighborhood that due to Sal's, you know, behavior, one of their fair friends has been murdered by the police. Um, and that anger's got to go somewhere, right? It's, um, and I think that's the genius of this. Is that there are no easy answers in this film. There are no villains. There are no heroes. There's just there are a lot of bad choices. And the other choices they could have made were bad too, probably. So um, I guess maybe for me, coming back to your original point about those two quotes at the end, Mm. Um, I think what they're really saying, and I don't know that I would call Martin Luther King, I mean, was Martin Luther King conf confrontational and, and no means an expert on US race relations, so I, I know a little about it. Um, <laughs> he, I, what I think you're talking about there, are, and, and I, I haven't quite decided about this, is, is the, the devil and the angel on, on the shoulder, right? Um, and there's a scene in the film that almost reflects that where Pino's over the shoulder of of um of sal talking in his ear sort of you know, almost like grimmer worm tongue spitting poison mm -hmm. um but the angel like you know whereas martin luther king advocated a non-violent gandhi-esque peaceful approach to race relations you know he's saying violence is not a solution to this problem all it does is make feel make things worse in his opinion over it. you know, he did not endorse fighting back against the oppressors his was you know, uh, almost shamed them into, and I, again, I, if I'm completely misrepresenting the, the, the philosophy, yeah, I will apologize. But I'm talking, was, I'm talking, you're digging yourself a hole. Hey, I, I will say this. I studied US history at university with a guy who marched with Martin Luther King. So um, I thought that was pretty fucking cool. So I have, when I say I have no insight, I am not African-American. So, you know, my uh, perspective could be, biased from being on the other side of the world but i know a little about it um he he was not a confrontationalist he was he was all about a peaceful approach and that, and that to some degree worked in the south to a degree um you know um whereas martin malcolm x took obviously a very different approach well i couldn't say that they were diametrically approached you can see from his quote was more along the lines of it's not it's not wrong if it's self-defense violence is okay if you're defending yourself against the oppressor and one might say in this case you know they people in the company um in the community might have made an argument they were defending themselves but against oppressors by mm. by uh, reacting the way they did 
Yeah. And I guess for me, <laughs> the point of a film is, what the fuck are these people supposed to do? You you don't resist. You get fucking killed. Someone kneels on your neck when you're not resisting, and you are murdered. And at least until very, very recently, there were no repercussions for those people doing the murdering because they wore blue uniforms. Uh-huh. Um, you know, at the other end of the argument is, okay, fight back. We It, it doesn't take long to see what happened to the people who fought back. I mean, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole of U.S. history and fucking civil rights movement, but there were a number of people who decided to take that literally. Mm. And it didn't end well for them either. They mm. were shot and killed and murdered. Um, you can look all that up, the Black Panther Party, all of that shit. Uh, it didn't go well. So I think for me... Um, and you can interpret this any number of different ways. One of the one of the points of, of, of those two quotes being on the wall, um, you know, of the quotes in the film and him placing the picture of the wall of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, the, the disabled guy, um, is what exactly are you supposed to do? Where is the option for these people to actually fight their, find their way out of the situation they are in? If they do nothing, they are murdered. If they fight back, they are murdered. It's... And I think that is where the uh, the anger can really arise from, and you know, the hopelessness of there's no way out of this situation because no matter which way you do it, you're you are you're fucked. I guess I under I, I appreciate and understand that on the grand scale in purely um purely speaking in this movie's uh, kind of narrative and message, I suppose if you want to put it that way. My problem is that we are being presented a story where it's two things and the thing that actually incites the riot are kind of disconnected. And then where the riot goes doesn't feel like... Like, Bugging Out gets a bee in his bonnet that an Italian pizzeria has Italian Americans on the wall and he's not a rational man about it from the moment that he notices it he is loud obnoxious and borderline abusive um and it's like okay you know what maybe he has a point maybe the when where where a business is should in some way reflect what is going around it but it is a private business so as sal says you put whatever you want up in the walls where you are that's fine that's narrow-minded of sal in that regard but there was no that that instantly everyone's hackles were up and they were kind of dogs at the park and just barking and that's neither malcolm x or martin luther king the um radio rahim coming in and being obnoxious is like again it's a place of business and sal seems to have he expresses to to rahim that he's told him repeatedly and then rahim gets pissed off about it but then it's like okay he just it's it's not exclusively in there it's everywhere it's when he goes past i think they're puerto ricans or something um and it's like okay again no one's really doing either of them and then suddenly 
boom, it's to this point where we're going to go in and we're going to be really, really mad and angry about this. And it's not, they, they don't try to do cooler heads like Martin Luther King would want. But at the same time, they're not exactly really defending themselves because they go into a place of business and are aggressors straight off the bat without even sort of like going, you know what, we've both got beef, which is arguably okay or not. They didn't even kind of go, you know what, let's go in, let's try and get my thing sorted first. They just went in to like a thousand decibels, all anger, and it's like, no, it's all on the same day, guys. You're not even going to rest it for one day to try and just let cooler heads prevail. No, and it's it doesn't fit for me with either of those methods. And then we get to the murder. Completely wrong. Even you hear some of the cops saying stop to the, the big guy that very clearly mm. seems to just want to put a tally up somewhere for his own personal fucked up ideology or whatever. And Yes, Sal's place was where they called the police because two guys were fighting. And Radio Rahim was not quitting. They're within their rights to call the police, the police are not within their rights to fucking kill someone for that. And again, it's sort of like, okay, I understand their anger. But for me, I don't think it... I think it just is muddy and especially with those two quotes at the end, because for me watching this movie, granted from an extreme point of privilege, I am a straight white Englishman who's never had too much worry about finance and the world has been designed for me for generations. So I do not my, even despite me trying to be as open and as, accepting as I possibly can. I just don't know what it's like to be black, to be marginalized in any way, shape or form, or to be oppressed by a government body because I don't have money or anything like that. It just doesn't work for me, the movie. And I feel like if they, if, even if they just took those two quotes off at the end, it would maybe fit better for me. Oh, I think that's quotes of what the film's about. I think that's what it's about. And I think we're not going to no, agree on this one. But that's um, the interesting thing uh, about that show, ladies it, and gentlemen. It, we don't always agree. It has it has happened occasionally, mm -hmm. believe it or not. Um, so uh, I'm going to... We spent 34 minutes on this one. Well, we had a bit of a... It's a good, run it's run a good conversation, but we have other things to talk about. I'm sure people will be frustrated going, no, keep arguing, get to a conclusion. <laughs> we're not. It's, um so um we haven't even mentioned some of the other things I, I loved about this the sense of neighborhood for me i thought was wonderful there was when it wasn't trying to deal with these heavy racial issues i, I love the, the the conversations between the three guys sitting under the umbrella on the street which apparent it was all improv i can um, believe uh i them just talking shit about each other the only part of the film i thought was really weak just just Finish off from my perspective is is ironically is 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 the relationship between Mookie and 
Rosie Perez was at Tina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I kind of felt that was kind of underdeveloped. It was just kind of there, and it. I mean, I, I didn't. You didn't really have time to do it justice. It, it wasn't terrible. It just needed a bit more love, and at two hours, it was just about the right. Yeah, anyway. I, I think that um, it. I liked the development of the relationship with Demare and um, uh, sister. I thought that was that was really cute, and it was it was interesting to see. I I got more of that kind of confrontational ethics from those two than I did most of the rest of the movie, where he was very much just like do the right thing, um, be kind. Do just respect and things like that, where she was more abrasive straight off the bat every time. But yeah. Anyway, if you've got nothing else to say in this one, you have the keys. And if you take us to Super Mario Brothers from 1993, I'm, be very I'm not. I'm taking us to a 1994 movie. I'm following Danny Aiello to a classic. Leon the Professional. Yes. It's one that is not uh, an awards-winning or socially important, but my god, it's a it's a great little movie. I'm I haven't been back to this movie in a long time. I want to see how it stands the test of time, particularly the relationship between Leon and Matilda. See if that's more com complicated than than it's initially. Um, kind of was designed, I suppose. You've got some fantastic exits there. I've served up a Gary Oldman option be right there. I've never seen this. Really? No, no, never seen it. Um, and ironically, you might say this isn't a social film or an important film, but it has a higher user rating than um, mm -hmm. I think. This is an eight point five. Do the right thing has an eight. So we're back in uh, back in the green territory after <laughs> Monkey Boat, um, and we're number thirty five of the two hundred and fifty top films on IMDb. So uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of in this one in terms of uh, the quality of production here, and of course directed by the great yes, absolutely. So there's going to be plenty of interesting ways that you can go there. I figured it could be an option to go into some, maybe some French cinema if you wanted to as well. So there's there's options, but. I think that was a really interesting conversation about do the right thing. The only problem with French cinema is fucking finding it here, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's 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 not easy to find sometimes. Um, uh, unless it, it, it it's mainstream, like Amelie um, or some of the Luc Besson things, but he's not not as as French as he's more so like just international Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but if it's a straight French film, it can be a little hard <laughs> to find. But anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's very available to stream in Australia on SBS on Demand. If, if you're not Australian, it's on all the streaming services, the rent and buy, mm -hmm. I imagine. The same would be true of overseas ones. I can't help you if yes. you don't live here. Um, <laughs> we don't do we so much on? of your homework, ladies and gentlemen. Let's move on. Should we move on to what would you like um, to talk about next? You know what? Let's go. To, let's go to something a bit more fluffy, and then we'll go back to to the more serious. So let's go to Ghosted. Sure. So this is a uh, a new movie on Apple TV. Yes. Am I right? And is that what it's called? Is it Apple TV or is it Apple uh, Plus? Apple I can't Plus, remember. Apple TV Plus. <laughs> okay. Yes. So it's a combination. 
<laughs> so this is a spy yes. rom-com. Oh, uh, heels with enig- enigmatic Sadie, but then makes the shocking discovery that she's a secret agent. Before they can decide on a second date, Cole and Sadie are swept away on an international adventure to save the world. And if anyone is looking at this thing and hears that and just goes, huh, sounds a little bit like the Tom Cruise Cameron Diaz night and day, you wouldn't be too far off the mark, honestly. You'd also be going, you saw night and day. You're the one. Because um, I fuck, nobody went and I've never seen that. I've heard people I mention it. Like, that, that is a movie directed by James Mangold, who may or may not be possibly trying to create an Indiana Jones movie. I think I could be wrong with the director, but you never know. Yeah, well, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Um, <laughs> because this film, um, touche, but unfortunately, this film does not star a plucky young advertising executive. Plucky young, um, uh, it would have it would have been improved by a plucky no, but it is a plucky young Mo- farmer. Oh, of course, it is. Um, that's directed here by Academy Award, sort of winning, not really winning, but like. <laughs> Adjacent Dexter Fletcher. Academy Award um, director. Uh, he, did he not direct he directed um, Rocket Man? Uh, um, was it not? Didn't he take take over doing Bohemian um, Rap? He, I think he took Bohemian Rhapsody. I think he, he took over after um, uh, yeah. after uh, Brian Singer uh, went home and <laughs> never come back. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm fairly certain right, he was sir. involved in that. Um, so. But Bryson is credited mm-hmm. as a director of that. But Dexter Fletcher, well-known uh, director, of course, starred yeah. in Press Club for many, many people who are fans of that. So it's got a an A A level mm-hmm. cast in Chris Evans and Anna the Armas, mm-hmm. triple A cast, triple A director who's very hot right, so hot writer. The writers are Rhett Reese, Paul Wernick, and Chris McKenna. Two of these guys are responsible for the Deadpool yes. movies. Um, and the other one, Chris McKenna. Is responsible for the Spider-Man, the Marvel Spider-Man mm-hmm. movies. So we've got a triple A writing team as well who are um, very hot mm-hmm. right now and have done a lot of very successful stuff. You put that into a big pot, you stir it up for an hour, one hour and 56, 56 minutes, and you get a very, very middling yes, result. Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> all of it, this is significantly less than the sum mm-hmm. of its parts. Mm-hmm. Because you look at all that and go, that sounds like something I'd want to see. It sounds like they've really put success. We've got action, adventure, comedy, according mm. to IMDb. That sounds exactly mm. like the kind of people you would want involved mm. in that. Uh, it doesn't really land the stick the landing, though, for a yeah. number of so reasons. The, what did you think? There's the poster for it. And it looks like the, the most photoshopped thing that you could possibly imagine. And uh, that kind of fits with the, the look and feel of this movie. It's, it's um, everything is only skin deep. There's nothing richer to it. There's nothing more intense to it. Chris Evans is a charming, charismatic actor. And he's charming and charismatic as a plucky young farmer. Um, Anna de Aramis is a great actress, very pretty, very beautiful. She has started to develop a little bit of a, a taste, it seems, for some, for some action stuff. Um, and 
those two have worked together in Knives Out, which I think they had much more interesting chemistry in that movie than they did in this one. It's... Sure, before we go any further, I'm going to ask you to do something unusual okay. for us. Could you read the synopsis so people know what it's about? Yeah. Did we? Oh, I missed that. I, I'm sorry. I thought we didn't. I'm so used to us. You will forget. Pretty much. Not. It's, 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 um, you mentioned yeah. that chemistry. Um, there is none. Like, it, it really is. It's like t- two incredibly good looking people who just don't seem yeah. to work. Originally, this role was written for Scarlett Johansson, uh-huh. apparently. Uh, and you kind of wonder if that might have worked a little bit yeah. better because Chris and Scarlett, I mean, well, well he, Chris and, and Anna have yeah. worked together before. Chris and Scarlett know each other very, very well and are uh-huh. very good friends. So maybe that would have made a little yeah. bit more sense. But we watched the, a YouTube video of them last night doing, I don't know if you've seen them, where like they're made for GQ or something oh. where they call an autocomplete interview where they, they, uh, they, they actually read questions of like Google autocomplete questions yeah. and they answer them. They're kind of yeah. fun. But the two of them, I've watched a few of them for different actors, and these two have almost a brother and sister mm. vibe in in real life in the in the YouTube video. And I'm like, maybe that explains why there's just no sexual chemistry between these guys on screen. And that is only worsened because every single scene that they're in together with a third party, they say, Oh, you guys need to get a room. It's like Yeah. Do they know? Like, do, do, does does mom or dad need to come in and just Box you around the ears a little bit instead. It's a different feeling. I feel like, and you've made a good point there. The jokes that joke is told again and again and again and again and again. So, you know, that could work in your favor if the joke mm-hmm. is funny. Yeah. If it's not funny, it does not. Well, you know, then it gets a little bit tiresome. You're like, uh, it wasn't funny the first time. It's not funny mm. the eighth and time. And speaking of tiresome tropes that are becoming more of a common thing in a lot of action movies, unnecessary cameo. I thought you were just going to say Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> so this is <laughs> unnecessary things that aren't funny in action movies. <laughs> I could Reynolds. have said that as well. I honestly could. But you, uh, the cameos are weird, right? Yeah. Like, Ryan Reynolds' cameo comes in right near the end, and it's literally done nothing but distraction. And it's like, okay, yeah, that really, you didn't need to be in there. You could have just made the movie one hour and 53 minutes instead. And it would have probably been a little better for that. And the kind of the running joke of the the uh the so like the hunters the the bounty hunters of anthony mackie john cho and sebastian stan coming in i feel like i've seen that joke done a hundred times and it's been funnier and it wasn't just oh there's one of chris evans friends from another movie franchise oh there's 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 another one up oh, and there's another one oh yep the first one is is back yep what year is it it just reminds you of films you enjoyed more than this yes um you know what it, it felt like a film that had been written by chat gpt <laughs> you know like 
you know, write me a a, a romantic comedy script where both one of the people, the woman is a, is a spy, and the main guy is yep. a civilian. He's a clueless civilian. Um, the only other, the film it reminded me of most in a lot of ways, for strange reasons, was The Grey Man. Um, yeah, no, no, not the sense of content. Uh, the Russo brothers did that. I don't think the Russo brothers were involved in this one. Um, and if I had a quick look, I couldn't see their names anywhere, yeah. but just that kind of like you could see a streaming service had poured money into it, amazing yeah. sets and locations and glow hopping spy shit. Um, but at its center, it had nothing. It was empty. It was no core. There was no heart. There was no love. It was just nothing. It was just an empty, soulless vehicle for two and a half, two hours. I don't know how long the Grey Man was. In this case, two hours mm. for you to go, oh, I, I know who Anna de Armas and Chris Evans is. I'll just watch that. So, yeah, you know, we're not setting out to make a good film. We're setting out to make someone sit there and watch for two hours so that they keep their Apple Plus, TV Plus subscription. Yeah. Or sign up for a new one potentially. Yeah. Um it's it's a shame because like people involved have got talent. There's just not it's it's just this is like you know when like Ben Kingsley or like my uh Michael Madsen or like names from a from a from a past era just turn up in an Uwe Ball movie. It's like, oh, okay, I get why you're doing that. You're doing that for the pay. This is like, okay, wait, why are you doing this? Because you're already getting the pay and you're still having to do all the action, so it's not as if it's a trade-off of hey. I'm getting money and I'm not having to work as hard. You're just not working as hard, but still doing everything that you have to do. It's I don't get it. Um, I have a question look, though about talent. You mentioned their talented actors. I, I suspect you're right in some sense, but I'm starting to ask questions about Anna de Armas. Like, is she Gal Gadoing us? Like, you know, Gal was great when you gave her material that was written within her range. Mm. Gal's range is very limited. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm thinking of the first Wonder Woman film here, not the second one. Mm -hmm. no, it wasn't really her fault in the end, but anyway. Um, you know, when you write something specifically tailored to her skill set, which is mm. standing around and looking hot, you know, and not saying very much, um, she can go quite well. Uh, Anna's mm. got a little bit more range than that. I quite liked her in the last Bond film. Yep. Um, I thought she was really good in Knives Out, but we're uh, talking a different level of director there. I mean, yeah. I have problems with some of the shit Ryan Johnson's done, but sorry, Dexter, you're no Ryan Johnson. No. Um, and he's an incredible writer and director. So, like, having, but I think also what Ryan does well is he knows his actors a little bit like Quentin Tarantino does in a sense of getting <laughs> Tarantino fanboy hat. But, like, I mean, the guy gets, he gets, you get awards if you, you, you perform in a Tarantino film, right? It's a thing. Yeah. Um, he knows he, he's fantastic at getting great performances from actors. And I think Ryan Johnson's true of that as well, which he got out in Nights Out of Chris Evans and Under the Armist. But I don't know if she's got a whole, I mean, I know she's got an Oscar nomination, but well, that was controversial because a lot of people didn't like Blonde. Um, 
but I don't know that she's got a lot of range. I don't know that she can pull this kind of role off. I don't know if she's much of an actor. I don't know Chris Evans is much of an actor. Films that Chris Evans has been good in that weren't Captain America films. Um, Knives out. Scott Pilgrim. He was in it for five minutes, so ah, still counts. He was good in Scott Pilgrim, but it was five minutes. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know that Chris is like, I, I mean, I have a certain criticism of Hugh Jackman, by the way. I don't think Chris Hugh does many good films that aren't Wolverine films. I, I mean, other than obviously Kate Leopold, because, you know, goes for the same. Um, but, but like, I don't know too many films that like Chris Evans has done where he plays someone other than um other than captain america but he's actually been pretty good at i kind of liked him in sunshine but there's a lot of just not a lot of disconnects for a lot of things in sunshine i think if if someone kind of just remade that maybe it would be slightly better but he's he used to try a lot harder, I think. I think now he's become very comfortable. And I feel like that's a thing that I'm noticing with a lot of actors in Marvel movies. They're making a lot of damn movies. They're physically exerting themselves a lot. And they kind of go, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to start heading in the Johnny Depp route a little bit of just do this thing that I know that I'm good at that people will always pay the ticket for. I'm being a little harsh here. The one person I thought who did stand out for me was Adrian mm. Brody, who's absolutely kicking goals as a bad guy lately. We saw him turn up in um, uh, what was the the the, the, the uh, poker, face. poker face uh, as the bad guy in the first episode, um, yep. and he basically had the same moustache, I think, uh, as he did in this one. He's <laughs> I mean, a, he enjoys it now. <laughs> yeah, he plays a good slimy villain, and I enjoyed him as the slimy villain in this one. Yes, I, I'm being really hard on this one, but it's not good. No, that's... It, it, it is inoffensively bad, if that makes sense. Like, like yeah. I really didn't love the Grey Man. I thought that was trying really fucking hard to be something it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and just just to pick the one that reminded me most of it. Mm. It also was felt longer than this, though it's not really longer than this. Yeah. Um, so it kind of that wore out as welcome. This is fairly light mm-hmm. in its feet, if it will. So it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. It's just not as good as it should be, given yep. the amount of talent that was involved in it. Absolutely it's right. Utterly forgettable. Yep. But if you've got Apple TV Plus, I mean, I, there's some good shit on Apple TV Plus in terms of TV shows. I don't know about the movie content, mm. but. Like that's that seems to be a common trend for a lot of the streaming services. They they seem to somehow they seem to get TV side of things, but their movies like this reminded me quite a bit of um, the uh, uh, Six Underground, the Michael Bay Ryan Reynolds movie. They they all they, there's a there's a like a streaming movie look to them. And it's always, it's either purposefully gritty and gradiated to make it look a little bit more rough and rugged, like the um, the, the Ben Affleck, 
um, something Frontiers one. Oh, Triple Frontier. Frontier, yeah. Or you've got that it's like perfectly high definition, immaculate, unless it's supposed to look dirty cars um, and drone usage. Lots of lots of drone usage. It's like, okay. Really? No one has scope or scale or anything that I, I it, it just it just has a shake and bake look to it and i don't know if it's because they kind of go oh well you know what we can film most of this using drones with 1080p 4k cameras on them we can get it nice and close and we can keep the it'll be really exciting to have the action go in and out and all of that stuff and then we can just edit it together and it'll look great it's like mm, yeah, not really you still need a direct i mean photography. it looks it looks okay, I guess. I mean, there's some of the drone footage, especially if you're going to the Gray Man, going back to that one, was particularly distracting because you it was really yeah. over the top. Um, and maybe in 25 years, that'll be default. We'll be used to it. But look at John Wick's uh, chapter four. The one we saw, four? yeah. Um, I don't know. They all blend <laughs> into one. But for all his faults, and, and people remember, I'm the, I wasn't a massive fan of it. I don't think you no, were a massive fan of it. But... It was shot yep. better than this. It was shot mm -hmm. better than the Gray Man. It looked good. I mean, the the, the photography was a lot yep. better in that. So um, maybe Apple TV can go off and hire that that kind of guy because you're right. These all look the same. They feel the same. They're utterly mm. disposable. As utterly disposable rom coms go, this is it's Alan. it's you know that 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 is um, the tag that we like to use. Cromulent. Cromulent. It's Look, I, I didn't. It's funny. Like I, I was like, this isn't good, but I'm not hating yeah. this. It's like, and I, and I think sometimes you forget, even back in the '90s or something, when you go to the movies and you see a movie. Like I remember the amount of times I saw films just because there was the possibility I would see Sharon Stone's tits. <laughs> um, you know, like, <laughs> or there was like, you know, like uh, I think of a film. I'm pretty sure I saw a film at the cinema. They had Armand de Armas in it. Uh, what's his name? Armand de Santo, sorry. Oh. Uh, and uh, the specialist. Yeah. The, the, um, the Stallone one. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it Armand yeah. de Santo? I think it was. Anyway, maybe not. I'm getting it wrong, but like, I know you're getting it mixed up with something else. But like, and like, I remember just going, you, you go and see that kind of thing on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday night because you're 50, you've got nothing else you can fucking yeah. do. And and there was a chance that Sharon Stone would take her tits out. Um, you know, like that was basically at fifteen that the height of existing for me. Uh, Armando Santo was. Not You're thinking of Antonio Banderas, I think. Antonio, um, potentially, um, but yeah, it's it's assassins. Assassin. The fun I was thinking yes. of, yeah, yes. So, oh my God, the Wachowskis wrote that shit. Um, there you go. Uh, things you learn. Um, and Richard Donner directed it. Wow. Fuck me dead. I have to go back <laughs> and watch that again. Um, but, you know, mediocre films have always yeah. been around. Yeah. I'm just trying to say. <laughs> like, and, you know, the difference is now we're not paying $15 of our hard-earned every time you go and see one and walk We've out. We've already and, paid hmm. it at the start and, or end of the month. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's, look, this is in that category of film, that kind of film you would have seen in the mid-90s again. Eh, I don't feel entirely ripped off, and then you would have forgotten about it by the yeah. time you got home. Absolutely agree. 
We talked too long about that one. Should we go on? Let's talk about the swimmers. Uh, this is a Netflix movie, or at least on Netflix in Australia. I can't speak about other territories. Uh, a from war-torn Syria to the 2016 Rio Olympics, two young sisters embark on a harrowing journey as refugees, putting their hearts and champion swimming skills to heroic use. Um, I, I don't know where this film's actually from. I don't know if it's a, a Syrian film or not, but uh, anyway, the countries of origin, United States and United Kingdom. Uh, it looks like it's officially made for mm. Netflix, and it was filmed on location in Damascus, which is mm. fascinating considering what's going on in that part mm -hmm. of the world. Um, for a bit more detail in our synopsis, sisters Yusra and Sarah Mardini fled their home country of Syria in 2015 when their house was destroyed during the civil war. They journeyed to Lebanon and then on to Turkey where they arranged to be smuggled into Greece on a dinghy. Mm -hmm. However, the refugees were in the middle of the Aegean Sea when the engine of the overcrowded dinghy cut out and the pair, plus two others who could swim, were responsible for saving the lives of those on board. Just a year after their harrowing experience, Yusra competed in two swimming events at the Rio Olympics as part of a refugee Olympic team. That basically tells you the entire plot yep. of the film. Yep. <laughs> uh, we have a start in Syria. These two young sisters who are being coached by their father to be champion mm. swimmers. Uh, when the war starts, they are almost able to ignore it uh, at the beginning. But as it gets closer and closer to them and people they know either start dying or escaping, and as the, the war starts to impact their lives in a very real way, they start to think about potentially trying to escape to Europe uh, and trying to convince their dad mm. and mum in particular to let them try and escape. The idea being that once they get to Germany, they can use a family reuni reunification law to bring the rest of their family across in a more official yeah. manner as opposed to the manner in which they uh, 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 emigrated, which is an extraordinarily dangerous journey uh, using people mm -hmm. smugglers. Um, but our stars in this uh, are Sarah is played by Manal Issa. Um, I'm trying to find the other one here. Um, Yusra is played by Natalie yeah. Issa. So I think that I take that to mean they are actually, I would sisters, guess so. Which is, yeah, yeah, but they do look fairly similar. What did you make of this? This was a really random choice one night for me, and I thought it might be an interesting one to talk about. Yeah. On the Everyone who knows me knows that I am all over sports and all over biopics. Yep. Sports. I love the sports. I have a problem with this movie and it, it kind of skirts over a lot of the harrowing that I was kind of anticipating. And it focuses on a lot more of the less interesting elements for me. Um, for example, the idea, like you mentioned before, of the war kind of getting closer and closer while they're still in Syria and Damascus. And there's that genuinely great shot of the two sisters dancing at the nightclub and then there's um, the shelling going on in the background. Uh, shells. That's incredible. That's an incredible shot. shot. Really, really fantastic. The juxtaposition of the light versus the light and how that kind of image of um, light and dark and the blue that was used for the dancing with the water that was kind of echoed throughout the movie in a few key moments, specifically there, then 
when they um, are swimming across the, the the Greek Sea or whatever they call it. Um, and then when she finally kind of um, uh, Boozra kind of gets over her mental block and really kind of goes in, pardon the pun, dives in deep for for the, for the Olympics team. Um, but it's kind of forgotten for more traditional or expected refugee escape kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, but you're kind of forgetting to tell me about the kids here. I felt, I felt like it, there was, there was a strange distance to the source material throughout it in so many spots. It's like, like the girls do really good in their performances. Um, the story is compelling, but at the end of it, I was like, yeah, I kind of expected all of that. And I don't feel like I got emotionally invested and they, they end the movie as so often with movies based on real people. They talk about what the, what the people are doing now and things like that. I kind of feel like it would have been a little better to mix some of that sort of thing in with the, with the rest of the movie. And maybe it would have broken up the, the story. Maybe it would have made it even longer than it already is at 2 hours 14 minutes. But... I feel like it might have helped give context because I am painfully oblivious to a lot of things in the world. Um, the refugees coming out of Syria, I have a loose understanding or a loose idea of that happening, but I don't really have much engagement for it. So kind of being told and shown intercut with sort of like news feeds of bombings that were happening and the the refugees that would have been helpful to me and it would have potentially actually engaged me more with the parts of the story that they seem to try and be pushing um so i feel like it's it's a great story but i just think that its focus was lost i i'm not sure i entirely understand um i i get you to a point if the film is mm. too long at two hours and 12 minutes, they really needed to find 15 minutes, 20 minutes, somewhere to hack out of mm. this because I think it overstays mm -hmm. its welcome. And, and I do agree that there are parts of film that are better done than others. That scene where that, that you talked about the dance scene was just amazing. I thought to myself, it's also incredibly unrealistic. I mean, who's going to a dance party while the city is being shelled? I don't know. Young Maybe that really did happen. Travis. Uh, the other one where she's at the swimming championships and the pool, the, the swimming facility mm. is shelled uh, by mortars and there's like a mortar lands in yeah. the middle of the pool. That was pretty yeah. fucking cool. Um, I think the harrowing could have been done mm. a bit more, but I thought it was very much there. Then dealing with the people smugglers in Turkey, uh, them sitting around paying mm. them the money and then waiting uh, by the... Uh, by the water waiting for the smugglers mm. to come back and with the with the boat you're like for a minute you kind of feel them they go do they fucking take their money and just leave them there mm. what a cunt uh and then uh the moment when they actually see the boat for the first time and they'll and you can feel the anxiety mm. in them through to um the actual escape across the Aegean mm. sea uh i actually found that part of my i actually had to google about to find out mm. real where the boat 
engines die and they tie a rope around the girls and they swim them into a fucking raft to shore um that's an incredible story i mean and, and i yeah um maybe the reason you know, know much about this is this has all kind of happened a while ago like the, the the really ugly stuff you know like this is 2015 2016 uh when the, the the shit really hit the fan in 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 syria i remember when i was in europe in 2016 there were the place was just overrun with syrian refugees everywhere uh asking me to sign petitions about the war in syria uh a really useful tactic there was to pretend i was russian and just go nit nit um <laughs> so, that's so, brilliant terrible so, trap <laughs> some some reason they all spoke english but none of them spoke russian there you go um uh, no refugees flee to russia that's usually the way yes um so i guess i and you know there was a, a famous uh, there's a famous photo of a, of, a, of a dad standing on a beach holding his dead, drowned son, which, mm. you know, the English press covered themselves in glory again by being cunts about the whole thing. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, so I, 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 maybe maybe it's just me. Cause I, I, I just remember that photo in particular. And mm. I, I was in Europe at the time, but I remember all the people around um, mm. from Syria. Um, and then them trying to make their way across the, the continent that's pretty harrowing of them like being ripped off and potentially yeah, ripped but they, off they and, kind of it, it felt like they kind of flick booked it I, I think there's a lot to there's a lot of content there and i don't know it given how long the film was i don't know how much more we could have got of that i mean maybe they could have done a little bit less of the germany stuff yeah but at the same time i kind of felt the olympic stuff was rushed but Kind of a, a big yeah. point of it is that their, their real um, redemption arc of this is she made the Olympics. Yeah. Um, that is an amazing story, but they really kind of yada 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 the Olympics at the end, like um, yeah. to the point where they have a race she swims in and apparently wins. I mean, I, I don't know if that was yeah, true. Yeah, or But I tell them is that is that is I'm assuming that's not a medal event. Like it must be a I, I know a little about the Olympics. Like I watch it like when it's on because Australia does well in the swimming so you know you're kind of exposed to a lot of that there are usually heats and you can win a heat without winning a medal but we didn't actually get any kind of explanation about what this race was that she was swimming in and, and i found that personally i have one of my small problems i have with films i found out a little deceptive of the filmmakers yeah and, and kind of a trope but they you know yeah they yay they they overcame all the the things and they they won the race and i'm like yeah, yeah. fantastic i mean yes that's an amazing story but what did she just win was it a medal event well i don't think it was um the heat yeah the apparently heat. it was uh, at the rio olympics mardini won a 100 meter butterfly heat against four other swimmers with a time of one minute nine seconds point two one and a rank of 41st among 45 entrants uh, that's kind of cool yeah but isn't it a little bit deceptive to make us feel like maybe she won something yeah like i don't know who these other people were like were they uh, had they had they seen pools before um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a famous story in sydney of a guy named eddie the eel who was from i want to say equatorial guinea um and he actually like became quite famous because he had never swum in, a, in an actual pool before i think or, or at least not in an olympic sized pool so his time in whatever event it was he did was like ridiculously slow but it was like one of those uh spirit of the olympics kind of mm. kind of things so like but anyway it's off topic uh <laughs> it never happens 
<laughs> I, I liked this film quite a bit. I thought it was pretty good. It, it told an interesting story about a topic that we have forgotten to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've just, the, the media has moved on to other things. You mm -hmm. know, you're talking wars. We cover the Ukraine war now. Even then, we don't talk about that much anymore. Um, so it would have been, so it would have been 2015, so it would have been seven years ago, this kind of thing was happening. And I, I think it's kind of cool that we're shining a light on this and actually telling a story about the, what that journey's like. Cause there's certainly a lot of people, but the other scene that really stood out to me was when they finally get to the island, uh, of Lesbos, I think it was yeah. the Greek island mm. and they walk off the beach and there's that sea of fluoro orange life jackets, like just mm. a sea of life jackets. Yeah. give you a sense of a scale of a problem uh and seeing how the people on the island reacted to the refugees wouldn't even give them water mm. um i i think it's helpful to be reminded of what these people were escaping mm. or what they went through to get there and that no fucking person in their right mind would get on a leaky boat and go across the fucking mediterranean sea unless they were running away from something really fucking scary yeah and I, th I think that's that's my problem with the, with it overall. This, I don't think, should have been a movie. I think this should have been some kind of miniseries instead to give it the time that it needed to actually tell more of that story and give more... It's, it's a grueling journey that these guys went on. And we, there was a feeling of flick book with these interspersed with these amazing single shots that were poignant, but there was nothing around them. And you, it, it didn't go deep enough for me. And so I'm just left kind of going, that was, that's a really interesting thing. I want to learn more. I'm going to have to just learn more myself. I would have liked to, because what more, what more would you have liked to have learned about? I'm I would curious. have liked to um, just. I feel like I'm very distanced from the from the sisters overall, and the. I think that it's a great opportunity to actually talk about some of the other people that were coming as well, like the mother, who was ended off uh, heading off to the UK. Um, like it. I would have loved to see more of her journey as well because I felt like I got invested in her character more than the than the sisters who were very reserved and bottled everything up. And maybe that's how the the, the sisters really are in real life and it's a good representation of them. But I felt like, okay, important things are just being flicked through and I'm not getting enough time to actually explore the effects of this on the girls and they're supposed to be who I'm, who I'm with. Again, well, again, I think we're going to go on the, on the, on the mm -hmm. record. So I don't think we're going to agree on this one. I think mm -hmm. this one's pretty good. It can be quite harrowing at times. Be prepared for something that might be a smidgen too long and the ending might be a bit tropey. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of just going to go and point and say, I disagree with the point at the end you said about, the traditional ending of this is where the girls are up to now because I think that's the film understanding exactly what film uh, people do these days. As soon as the film's over, I'm grabbing my phone and Wikipedia reading these people and going, did this really happen? Um, and No, I liked that bit. I mm. liked the fact that we 
they very poignantly made it this is what's happening and the things that the girls went on to do um was important and particularly for sarah and she's facing 20 years in prison for human trafficking and things like that wow okay um this is more of an interesting expression of do the right thing than what was in do the right thing for me and that is like the other part of the story that i would have liked to see because you get this hollywood ending of them frolicking on a beach and everything's right with the world and then you get these very quick sort of like ah she's now doing um ambassador work and she's probably going to be spending time in prison um because she was trying to do the right thing it's that so like no keep keep telling me that story because they're interesting they've now really gotten interesting and i want to uh, see that yeah, I said, I think definitely I can accept that the ending is a bit tropey. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I guess the idea is to leave you feeling slightly good about a pretty horrible story. Um, uh, anyway, it's on Netflix. Mm. If, you, yep. if it sounds like it's going to be interesting to you, mm -hmm. it, um, it is on Netflix in Australia, at least. I am by the looks of it. As far as I can tell, it was a Netflix production. Uh -huh. So, uh -huh. um, I think uh you should be able to see it on netflix hopefully most places mm -hmm. well, let's get on to the final segment of the show big browse browse what have and you got I, this week i've got first one i'm i'm taking this one straight away this is executive produced by the russo brothers citadel on oh yes Prime. Uh, on, on Prime. this is the um the guy Richard Madden, right? Yes, yes. One of the one of the Game of Thrones people that went on to be one of the MCU people that went on to be wasn't he in things? <laughs> as, as I always say, the the handsome man who turns up occasionally, and I don't know who he is. Uh -huh. That's probably Game of Thrones. So, here we go. Eight years ago, Citadel fell. The independent global spy agency tasked to uphold the safety and security of all people was destroyed by operatives of Manticore, a powerful syndicate manipulating the world from the shadows. With Citadel's fall, elite agents Mason Kane and Nadia Sin have their memories wiped as they narrowly escape with their lives. They've remained hidden ever since, building new lives under new identities unaware of their pasts until one night when Mason is tracked down by his former Citadel colleague, Bernard Orlick, who desperately needs his help to prevent Manticore from establishing a new world order. Mason seeks out his former partner, Nadia, and the two spies embark on a mission that takes them around the world in an effort to stop Manticore, all while contending with a relationship built on secrets, lies, and a dangerous yet undying love. Yeah. You know how we were talking about uh, Ghosted having a very generic kind of look? This does too. And um, it, it's got Richard Madden, who people will know from his famous death in The Red Wedding. Um, Priyanka Chopra Jonas, who's... Was in The Eternals. Yes. And uh, she was also in uh, the fourth Matrix movie. And she's married um, to a Jonas brother. Yes, yes. Um, Stanley Tucci, who 
I always love, but I don't know why he's here. The rest of the people in this, I don't really know. It's um, a collection of uh, quintessential English women who are powerful, dominant, and scary, and European men with beards. This, this is supposed to be an action drama thriller, and the opening sequence uh, of the first episode takes place on this extremely luxury train that seems to be slightly more technologically advanced than what we actually have in the real world, so technology is a little bit more advanced than what we're used to, and these two agents are there to try and stop a sale but it turns out to be a double um a double bluff and they they've fallen into a trap by the eponymous manticore who have only just suddenly surfaced to take down citadel in one fell swoop the action is generic richard madden was mildly okay as i think his name was icarus in uh, the eternals and priyanka chopra jonas was serviceable as a very pretty agent who can hold herself in a fight because the stunt people around her know how to take a punch. Um, Stanley Tucci is the man in the chair, as is joked about by Ned in the Spider-Man movies, and that's pretty much his role. Everything else is like, okay, there's lots of tropes here, ladies and gentlemen. I've watched the first two episodes. They're available on Prime. And they start kind of fudging around with eight years ago, now, eight years ago, now. And and then they do, I don't know why producers and executives and directors let this sort of thing slide. But at the end of the second episode, before it even gets to the skip button, it says, coming up on Citadel season one. And it kind of spoils the whole damn show. It's like, well... Yeah, it's a spy show where two people have had their memories wiped. Blatantly, there's going to be um, red herrings and spy v spy and all of that sort of stuff. But did you have to confirm it all? Did you really? And it, it looks like somehow they've managed to generate a cheaper looking version of Black Widow. I don't know how they did that. This is going to cost a lot of money, I imagine. It certainly has the presentation of it. There's um, the opening sequences are kind of along the lines of like, oh, this looks like an HBO sci-fi show kind of first season of Westworld sort of thing. It's like, oh, yes, it's 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 taking itself seriously. And um, there's a lot of simile on that note to the way that they presented the peripheral, which took a nosedive fairly quickly and i can't recommend this i this is a very 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 soft browse being burnt and you can smell the smoke this this is toast that's that's going beyond my taste buds um it's i'll go back for uh, episode three because i have prime why not but I'm not invested in this. I don't care about Citadel and Manticore. I don't care. The, the, the bad guy has already, in her own words, 
diminished her threat level because she says in episode two, I'm just the broker. And if I don't deliver, someone's coming after me. It's like, well, we know she's probably going to die at the end of season one. And then someone's going to say, I'm coming after you, Mason Kane. Come on, Mason Kane. <laughs> Name generator can come up with something more interesting than that. It's the worst oh. name since Holden Ford in uh, Mindhunter. <laughs> it's just bad. It's, there's, there's nothing. This is trading on, much like Ghost, uh, Ghosted, it's trading on the names of some of the people involved and the people behind it. But it's sort of like, hmm, I wonder how much interest the, the Russo brothers actually had. And I am very questionable about the Russos, and I always have been, because they created Welcome to Collingwood before they went on to do Community and things like that. Hmm. I don't know if they've... Uh, if, if They may very well be Gal Gadoing us as well. I don't think you can when you've made this... When you made films as good as they have. I guess maybe we're just coasting, right? Someone offered them a lot of money and... You know, hey, um, well... Movies, they made Captain America Winter Soldier, and then at that point, the machine of Marvel movies was very much in position, and they were just running a track that was already laid for them. That's a bigger conversation. <laughs> First issue this week is Fired on Mars. Fired on Mars is an animated show okay. uh, for, um, I believe, in the, our friends in the United States might find it on uh max not hbo max anymore it's just mm-hmm. max right what a fucking stupid decision that was by the way the hbo brand is gone like it's just max now what the fuck yeah. uh stupid um, max is an animated show available here in australia on binge jeff cooper has to reinvent himself after being fired from his position in the space startup marsley with no chance to return to earth he has to find again meaning in a dangerous alien but familiar corporate landscape Okay. So he has relocated to Mars as a graphic designer to work for the startup Marsley. Um, okay. He's fired very early on and has no way of actually going back to Earth. Uh, and as I said, he has to find meaning in his new existence on Mars. This, uh, in terms of voice acting, involves uh, Jeff Wilson. Sorry, mm-hmm. Luke Wilson plays Jeff Cooper. Jeff Luke Wilson. Wilson. Luke Wilson, Wilson, of course, uh, of Idiocracy, amongst many Mm. other things, Mm -hmm. Uh, and a a few other names you might see pop up along the way. It has a very strange vibe, this one. It is exceedingly dry. Yeah. Like, so fucking dry. Drier than fucking Mars. Like, really dry. But, (laughs) and you're kind of sitting here going, uh, I don't know if I like this, but I want to watch another episode. <laughs> I don't know if I like this, but I'm going to watch another episode. Um, it has a office spacey vibe, which fits with the fact that, of course, Luke Wilson has worked yeah. with uh, Ken Judge before, and you can sort of get that. I mean, he's not the man behind it. It should know. No. It's created by Nick Sherman and Nick Vokey. Uh, Nate who, Sherman uh, did This Is 40, which makes me very suspicious straight away. involved in Bridesmaids to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Vokey, I'm just going to check here and see what they're behind. 
not much else that I've actually ever heard of. So they're, yeah. look at, they're fairly new to the game. Uh, so, but it kind of has a, the animation style is more in line with something like Ugly Americans or Big Mouth or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not fantastical like those shows. Mm. Um, I kind of liked it. <laughs> it's, like I said, if you like, you know, very broad, laugh out loud comedy, like something like Family Guy or South Park is more your jam in this space. And you find mm. stuff, like I said, Big Mouth, uh, you know, uh, or um, dead. What was the other? Bojack Horseman, a mm. little bit too esoteric for you. Mm, if you're a Bojack, if, if Bojack Horseman didn't do it for you, then steer clear of this one. I don't think you're going to enjoy mm. it. But if you do like that kind of sort of weirder, edgier sort of animation, then maybe you will enjoy it. So I said, very droll, very dry, very much a commentary on mm. startup culture in the 21st century and uh, yeah. that sort of thing. But I think I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it as a browse, a, right in the middle of a browse uh, category in the sense that, like, I haven't rushed back to watch another episode, but the next time when all the, like, you, the writer strikes on, you know, we've seen so. Stuff that yeah. I watch on the regular, like um, uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, which I love mm -hmm. that show. That's probably not going to be on in the air anymore. So, um, Apparently not anytime soon. Um, so the next time that there's no John Oliver to watch, I might watch an episode of Fire on Mars, which I think is the definition of a browse. Okay. All right. Um, what was the other thing? Uh, oh, I have an... Um, a binge browse burn for video games. Yesterday saw the release of Redfall on Game Pass on Play. Um, I think it's on PlayStation as well. It it's is, yeah, Steam. everything. And it's um, by the uh, one of Bethesda. the Bethesda. Yes, Bethesda, and particularly Arcane. Arcane, who did some of my favorite games, the Dishonored series. This is a team-based. Uh, vampires kind of squad sort of action thing. I haven't had a chance to play with any friends yet because I'm a loner. Um, there is no option to play with bots, which would have been a nice little addition to at least get you that idea if you wanted to play on your own. Um, it's got a look of an Arcane Studios game, so... Sort of like the the size of things kind of like my hands generally just look too big for the rest of my body it's it's a little bit of that um the, you've got four different people that you can uh characters that you can choose from and they've got different abilities and sort of like the different functions in the team and you find yourself going through it's an interesting environment um i'm not I've only spent maybe half an hour in it so far. Um, very basic kind of um, typical kind of controls right now, but uh, there is some kind of skill tree that I haven't got to to unlock yet. Um, but it seems like fun and it's on Game Pass. And if you've got Game Pass Ultimate, you can play it on PC, which from the earlier reviews is probably where you're going to get a slightly better, more stable performance. Are you sure? I've heard exactly the opposite. Well, 
it's apparently being review bombed um with people playing it for less than 10 minutes and giving a review um right down in the toilet sort of thing so i don't know it was playing fine for me on my gaming laptop um it looked fine but then again i am not a particular sucker for graphics um it's not on the same level as uh, going for that hyper realism that you get in a lot of playstation exclusives like the last of us or god of war or things like that but they're it's got a specific style it's like looking at legend of zelda which the new one comes out week after next um that's got a very specific art style that's somewhat timeless arcane studios have got a particular kind of look to it um everything from dishonored and Deathloop, they've got this kind of veneered sort of finish to them because a lot of their games are designed to so like okay i've got these interesting skills how can i break the game and that's half the fun um but because i haven't got to those skills yet it's very generic right now so this is on the lower side of browse right now there's nothing particularly exciting right now for me to to go in but i have um got a couple of people that i know patrick and kinjin are probably going to be joining in to play that so we'll hook up and i will come back to you later on with how it's supposed to be played with people i would enjoy it too but i just because i had game pass as well but um, mm -hmm. i I don't know. You're in the middle of moving studios, sir. You don't have time for games. Uh, I should note this has been decidedly negatively reviewed. It has a 63 on Metacritic. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, despite your success, what I've heard to date is it has been an absolutely trash um, PC port. Like, that's just what I, I have heard people saying is really pretty bad. And Professor of Commandant said it's because it doesn't work well on high-end PCs. <laughs> maybe that's why it's working fine on the game <laughs> that's why it's working fine for you um, <laughs> um my final uh, bringe browse burn we're getting a little long here uh is the new series on prime dead ringers oh yes starring, i said i was gonna watch that but i totally didn't get, didn't get around to it. Uh, unacceptable um not... starring rachel vis this is a limited series Mm -hmm. based on the film from the 80s directed by david Cronenberg of all picture i don't think i've seen the film but after watching the first episode i watched the trailer mm -hmm. of the because jeremy irons in it mm -hmm. and it looks absolutely bonkers yep and then again it's david Cronenberg, so you know yep it, enough said there it's <laughs> of course it's going to be bonkers the guy's nuts the yep. mantle twins identical from head to toe are on a mission to change the way women give birth now, not being able to comment on the original film, uh, I believe the uh, twins, identical twins in that film, were played by Jeremy Irons. They've mm. been gender swapped here to being women, uh, working uh, as um, uh, I don't know exactly what working in with women giving birth. Um, obstetrics is the word I was looking for, um, and they are both played by Rachel Vice. One. With their hair down most of the time one of their hair up most of the time mm -hmm. uh and they're very different characters and that's a really nice little way of us being able to tell the difference between the two of them which mm -hmm. one we're looking at at any given time uh beverly and elliot so the same character names as the as the original film mm -hmm. uh they work in a hospital i think um and they're looking to set up their own their own sort of 
clinic to help women giving birth. It's sort of a whole shimazel, whole shebang, so right. that they can improve the way that women, you know, uh, deal with pregnancy and give birth. Um, huh. It's pretty full on. It is huh. R rated. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you are squeamish, uh-huh. this is not the show for you. There are some fairly graphic scenes early on of birth. Okay. Uh, which probably shouldn't be gruesome, but maybe that's the point because they are, it is shot in a way that they are fairly shocking. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, you don't normally see that kind of thing, you know, they're sort of cut away the woman's face screaming, but no, you get the full body in this one. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. That, that's everything you're seeing. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and that's a lot of blood, a lot of blood. Uh, and so it's not pulling any punches. Mm. Uh, this is, I'm putting this in the, sl- in the soft binge category for me. The mm. first episode is really quite good. Takes a little while to get going with exactly what the story is going to be about. Uh-huh. Um, the character work is really great. The writing's great, but this is spending a lot of time faffing around with the characters being the characters, basically. It actually necessarily takes about 30 or 40 minutes of a one hour episode to get to the start to get the gist of what it's actually going to be about. Okay. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit hypercritical by, uh, criticizing it for that but i was at the point mm. yeah, come on come on I, I already like these characters you don't have to work at that anymore can you please just tell me what your story is i haven't seen the film um <laughs> it, it, basically these the, the twins are seeking investors in the first episode to start to uh build their own uh, their own uh clinic for, for pregnancy mm. uh, uh elliot uh is trying to woo uh, t- uh, TV star Genevieve. But what's fascinating here is that her sister actually says, "Would you like me to get her for you?" Because Elliot's kind of a re- the reserved twin. The Beverly's mm-hmm. a really gregarious, outgoing one, and she goes out at, in the in the guise of being Elliot to woo the woman that Elliot is interested in as a gift to her. Um, wow. these are some really fucked up people and I <laughs> like it. I like it a lot. Um, they're, they're, they're absolutely uh, said the film, the, the trailer for the Cronenberg film look bonkers. Mm. These girls are bonkers. Mm. And Rachel Vies is having a fucking ball. <laughs> yet what a great actor she, she is. We, we saw her. Famously in the Death Machine episode in, uh, in, in, in <laughs> if you go back, as you is part of the Chain movies a long time ago. She's yep. in one of your favorite movies, of course, The Brothers Bloom, mm-hmm. um, and she's absolutely sensational. At least in the first episode, I'm only one episode in. I think mm-hmm. there are. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how many episodes there are. I'm guessing about uh, six episodes. There we go. In season yep. one, yeah, uh, it's. It's taking on some challenging topics and it's doing it really quite nicely, uh, at least in the first episode. As I said, if you are squeamish, go elsewhere. Okay. Interesting. That, well, on a squeamish note, brings us to the end of the show. A little bit longer than our one and a half hours that we're trying to aim for these days. But still, I think we had some good stuff and we had counter, counter, we had debate on two of our topics today. Hmm. 
So this week we talked about our chain movie of the week, which was Do the Right Thing. And I have chosen for us to follow Danny Aiello to Leon the Professional, directed by Luc Besson. Uh, we talked about Ghosted on Apple TV+. Plus. We talked about The Swimmers on Netflix. Um, Do the Right Thing, um, that was not streaming anywhere. You had to, you could get it on um, Apple, Amazon. You could buy it and rent it from places. So if you want to watch that, please do so. And we had our binge browse burn. Uh, we talked about Citadel. We talked about um, Dead Ringers. We talked about Fired on Mars. And we talked about Redfern. Redfern? Red, Red Wing. Redfall. No. Redfall. There you go. I'm invested. <laughs> <laughs> but that brings us to the show, end of the show. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us on Facebook, on Twitch, on YouTube. Facebook.com slash Frybrain Productions, twitch.tv slash armchair producers, youtube.com slash armchair producers. Don't forget, you can always join us live on any of those platforms. Jump into the chat if you've got any recommendations. Um, tweet them out to us, Twitter, for this wonderful fellow this side. I learn my left from my right. Evil Trav, myself, the Fry Brain. Until next time, thank you and good night. Good night. Bye, my bro.